Good morning. I grew up in a church that on Easter Sunday they said, He is risen, and everybody else said, He is risen indeed. Yes, He is, that Jesus is alive, and it's worth celebrating. We're so glad that you're here with us, and uh, we would love for you to just uh, connect and to get to know us and enjoy looking at God's Word, that you would walk out of here maybe just a little bit different than when you walked in. And so we pray that God would do a work through His Word. Before we jump into the text, I want you just to imagine with me what it might be like to live in a world with no conflict. Now, immediately, some of y'all probably went to a conflict that's happening in your own family. But let's think broad. No conflict in the sense of no war, ever. No conflict in the sense of no violence, How would that transform our city? No conflict in the sense of no broken families, no broken relationships. The holidays are hard for some as it's full of brokenness. Think about a world which had no natural disasters. Some of y'all may have been affected by hurricanes or tornadoes or floods or fire. Think about a world with no natural disasters. A whole continent of Africa is being affected right now by drought, famine. What about a world that existed with no sickness? If you've got kids, it seems like you just cycle through this stuff, right? It's like, all right, one stomach bug, everybody gets a bucket, right? But no cancer. No dementia. Woke up the other day and my knee hurt. Asked my wife, I was like, did, did I do something to my knee? She was like, no, this is just our future. We wake up having hurt ourselves. Right? No more of that. Your body doesn't wear out. No sickness. No worn out bodies. What about a world in which sin doesn't exist? No sin. No effects of sin. You see, that world in which we even have a hard time imagining is the reality of what Paul says in the letter here is is that Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection guaranteed it. That that world is coming. That when Jesus' heart began to beat on that Sunday morning, He promised it, and he was the first fruits of what was to come. That that world, without the effects of the fall, without this world which groans, as the scripture says, that creation is groaning under the weight of sin and the effects of sin, that that groaning will bring forth the birth of a new heavens and a new earth. That it will bring forth a new birth of those who are in Christ. That's what our text says. The main idea for our text this morning is that that the resurrection of Jesus accomplished two things. It accomplished the reconciliation, the, the mending of creation, and it accomplished the reconciliation, the mending of humanity. That the resurrection of Christ accomplishes the reconciliation of creation 
and humanity back to God. Let's pray before we jump in. Lord, we do ask, God, that you would speak to us as we open your word. Lord, that, that you have recorded these things and preserved them for us in order that we might know you better. Lord, so as we look at this text, which lifts high Jesus and shines a light on Jesus and what Jesus has done, Lord, I pray that we might behold him in a new way. That our eyes might be opened and our ears opened to see and to hear the good things which Christ has done on our behalf. Lord, you're so worthy of our worship. Lord, we pray that this morning that we might offer that to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's look first at our text and read the whole thing. We've read it once, but let's read the whole thing again, beginning in 18, part B. It says this. It says, he, being Jesus, is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind and doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. The first thing I want us to see in verses 18 through 20 is that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection has reconciled creation back to God. Look at it again. It says this He is the beginning. The beginning. The first, the start. This is, this is the, the first initial start. That Jesus is the beginning. In this text, then it's probably a song that was recorded. And so all the way back at verse 15, then it talks about that, that in the beginning, Christ was there in creation. That he was at the beginning of creation and he is the beginning of the new creation. The firstborn from the dead. Now, Rebecca does a great job with our kids back in the kids' ministry. And as I was talking to my kids about this and talking about Jesus being the firstborn from the dead, one of them corrected me and said, Dad, you're wrong. I know you're the pastor, but you're wrong. Jesus wasn't the first one to come back from the dead. Lazarus did. And I was like, touche, right? (laughs) But here's what it is. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead who will never die again. See, Lazarus came back from the dead, but he still died again. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead who will never die again. It continues and it says that in everything he might be preeminent. That Jesus is the first and he's the supreme and he's the exalted one. He's always first. He's always superior. That in his preeminence, in him being first of all things, he has the exalted position. No one else gets to take it. That whatever it is, Jesus wins. Jesus is first. Jesus is best. 
Jesus is superior, that he has this exalted position because he was first in creation and now he is first to raise from the dead. The promise of the new creation. But look at verse 19. It continues and it says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. We get a picture here of of that Christ was with God. And he humbled himself, taking on human flesh. But it wasn't just human flesh, that he was fully God and fully man. He took on flesh, but he was the place in which all the fullness of God to dwell. That he was fully God. Why would he do that? Well, he did that in order that he might reconcile to himself all things. You see, with a holy God, there is deserving of an infinite and holy judgment for those that oppose a holy God. And so Christ is infinitely holy. He is the only one that could reconcile all things back to himself because he is God himself. And so we see in this text that we, we see the beginning of this picture of who Christ is, that he's the beginning, he's the firstborn from the dead, he's fully God, and he's at this exalted position. But then look at what it says, that through him he would reconcile to himself all things, heaven and earth, making peace. I just love thinking about that term, peace. It's what so many of us are chasing after of like, if I could just get peace, the stress of work, the stress of relationships, the stress of the world in which we live, that if we could just be at peace. My family moved over here to Louisiana from uh, Texas, but originally from Oklahoma, and we thought that we were coming to Louisiana that was going to be um, backwoods redneck, but it turns out that we were the most backwoods redneck people to, to come here, Right? <laughs> And so I have some family in town. They're here for Easter and my in-laws and cousins are in town and they show up at our house and they're like, man, we, uh, we knew whenever we heard the chickens crowing that we were at your house. And so, you know, custom, I'm like, hey, y'all come outside. Let's look around. And I ask my little niece and nephew, y'all want to see if we can find a snake? And they're like, uh... Uh, right? Like, who does that? Tracy warned y'all that we do that, right? So I'm thinking that I've already seen a nice, sweet, kind little snake. Some of y'all are like, that doesn't exist. He's a liar, right? But, but there are snakes that aren't, are harmless. And so we go to find a snake that I kind of know where it lives, and I lift up this piece of metal, and under there is a huge poisonous snake. And I was like, whoa. Not what I expected, right? I'm like, this thing causes major issues if it bites you. Here's the point of this. That in the new creation, the scriptures actually say that the child will play at the den of the cobra that they will be reconciled back together. That creation will be reconciled back together in a way that we haven't experienced. That it will be at peace 
in a way that blows our mind. And we go, whoa, what is that going to be like? But the scripture gives us just a little hint that when Christ died, buried, and rose again, he began to reconcile all things back to himself to create peace. But how did he do that? By the blood of his cross. That the reconciliation didn't just happen by the waving of a magic wand. It happened by the sinless Savior going to the cross, spilling his sinless, blameless, holy blood in order to pay the just penalty of sin and corruption. And that it's through his blood that he is reconciling all things back to himself. So Paul here kind of gives this broad, generic, big expanse of creation. But then, as we know from the Genesis account, that specific within that creation was was the creation of humanity. God's crowning creation. Mankind, man and woman created in his image. And we know that through the effects of sin, that, that even that was broken and marred. And so Paul here points us that beyond the generic big umbrella of all of creation, specifically, Christ reconciles humanity back to himself. How does he do that? Well, look at how he starts. He's writing this letter, and it says, And you, who were once alienated, hostile in mind, and doing evil deeds. And Hallmark said, we want that guy to write our Easter cards, right? Like, no. Like, he comes out of the gate, and he's like, you guys are alienated from God, you're hostile in mind, and you do evil deeds. Look at the progression of that. Alienated. What causes alienation? Well, I think one of the best ways that I've seen it happen is that when I offend someone, there's guilt and shame because I know I've done wrong and I begin to separate myself from them, right? We saw this in the garden that Adam and Eve, they sinned and what did they immediately do? They began to hide from God's presence. They began to alienate themselves from the presence of God. And, and in our sin, we have alienated ourselves from the presence of God because he is holy. And we know that we're not. But in that alienation, in that separation, there's a second thing that happens that they're hostile in mind. That now the thinking and the way in which they think and the worldview in which they think and the lens in which they view everything is now colored and tainted. It now begins to have suspicion towards God. It begins to have suspicion to the things of God. Is God really kind and good and loving? Is God really in control? Does God really hear my prayers? Does God really even care? Began to think, God's just keeping good things from me. He really doesn't have the best plan for me. A hostility in mind. But then that hostility of mind moves beyond just thinking, and it moves to action. Look at what it does. It it begins to do evil deeds. This is not neutral. This is not just, ah, it could go either way. This is evil deeds, that there's action of doing evil deeds based off of the thinking, based off of being separated from God. And this is the state in which we find ourselves alienated, hostile in mind, 
doing evil deeds. We are the offender against a holy God who has been offended. See, this is the gospel. That we are separated from God and have an offense against a holy God that we can do nothing about. See, I think this section of the passage breaks down like this, that there's a problem, there's a resolution, and there's a purpose to that resolution. That the problem is we're separated from God, that we offended him, and we can't pay the debt. Colossians says that there's a debt in which we owe. Let's look at the resolution, though. Verse 22 says, And he, meaning Jesus, has now reconciled has now brought together, that term reconciliation, it could be defined like this, to restore friendly relationship between. That he has restored friendly relationship between us and him, how? In his body of flesh, by his death. That the resolution is that he has reconciled us to in his, himself, in his body, and the means in which he has done that is by his death. That he had to die in order to reconcile humanity back to himself. The gospel is this, that you're separated from God and that apart from the work of Christ, we remain separated from him. But to anyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ in the finished work of the cross, they're given the gift of salvation. That they're given salvation to be reconciled. Look at what he says. He continues. He says that in order to, right, there's a purpose clause of him reconciling us in order to present you, right? So we've got this picture that, that Jesus has been offended. We were the ones that offended him. He came to us and said, hey, let me pay it for you so that I can now present you holy." and blameless, and above reproach. This is the great exchange. That we give Christ our hostility, our alienation, and our evil deeds, and he gives us his holy, blameless, above reproach. That's the great exchange of the gospel that was all made possible by his death, burial, and resurrection. You see, if Jesus would have just stayed dead, he would have been just like everyone else. But he didn't stay dead. That Sunday morning when his heart began to beat, he opened up for us the reality of the resurrection and the new life, that of which he was the first fruits. When you think about the reality of what he presents us as, it's hard to fathom how we could be presented wholly blameless and above reproach. And I think it can be helpful to understand it this way, that, that in Christ, as we talk about holiness, holy just means to be set apart. So in the beginning, we're set apart from God because of our alienation and sin. But then because of what Christ has done, we're set apart with Christ in his holiness. You see, it, it's, it's the fact that we're in Christ, that he covers us with his holiness. We sang about it in one of those songs, clothed in the crimson robe of his blood. 
that makes us white. That in Christ, we're now set apart as holy because he is holy. That in Christ, as we're hidden in him, we're actually now blameless. Now that's a foreign way to think about the reality that that we are without blame. That in Christ, it's not your fault. In Christ, you're free from sin. In Christ, you're holy without blame. That there is Satan who is the accuser, who makes accusations against God's people. And as Satan points and says, yeah, but they did this. And because we're in Christ, no blame. Blameless. Last, it says that above reproach, I love thinking through this, that in the way of thinking in a mudslinging contest, nothing sticks. Above reproach means that that when all the accusations are hurled against you, nothing sticks because of the character of Christ. Blameless. If I could just be really honest with you right now, that there's probably some people in here that need to just be reminded of this, that if you're in Christ, this is your identity. That you're believing the guilt and the shame and you're not walking in the reality of who you are in Christ. See, look at the language of this. It says in verse 21, and you who once were. You notice the tense of that? It's past. You once were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. But look at this. But now. But now, Christ has reconciled you in his body. That this is a present tense with a future projection. That now and for the future, that you are in Christ, holy, blameless, and above reproach. But then if I could just be really honest with some of you, you're probably in the place of going, yeah, I'm in the place of alienated, separated from Christ. I know my own sin and, and there is no one else to blame except me. I'm guilty. You're caught red-handed with your hand in the cookie jar. You're guilty. There's no getting out of it. And you stand before a holy God who, who says that there is a penalty for that sin. And you're toast. You've got nothing. Except you have an offer from God himself who says, I'm willing to pay it all for you. If you would put your faith in the finished work of what Jesus Christ, the son of God, has done on your behalf in his death, burial, and resurrection, that you can be holy and blameless and above reproach, that this can be your new identity, that you can walk out of this building different than you walked in because of the work of Christ. That's exactly what Easter represents. That Jesus went into that tomb dead. But on that Sunday morning, he came out of that tomb. I heard it said one time that that Jesus didn't need to move the rock in order to get out. He needed to move the rock in order that people could see he was no longer there. The reality of the resurrection is for you and I that gives us the hope of the future. That in Christ, he was the first fruit. But those who are in him 
are the fruits that will follow in that new and glorious resurrection of all things that have been reconciled to him through the work of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the truth of the resurrection. Lord, for the the truth and the promise that you gave us of the finished work of Jesus on the cross applied to our account, which Colossians later says that he took our decree of debt and he canceled it, paid in full. God, we pray that this morning you would remind us of our identity, that we might live that out. Lord, but if there are any that that are in the identity of alienated, hostile in mind, and doing evil deeds, Lord, you might convict them and extend the gift of your Son that if they would confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus is Lord, they would be saved and that this would be their new reality. Just like Christ rose from the dead, we can raise with you holy, blameless, and above reproach. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to worship and to celebrate the work of the resurrection. It's in Jesus' name we pray.